Good morning. Welcome. Good morning. Welcome back to Redeemer Women's Bible Study. It is so good to actually see you all and be here with you. For those who are watching online, we feel you with us and we are glad that you are here too. Um, Let me pray and we can jump right in. We have lots to pray for this morning considering the large fire across town um, and just all, all of the things that are going on. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for how you work and for your word. Thank you that when your word goes out, it does not come back to you void. Lord, I pray that this would be a precious place this morning, that this would be holy holy ground, that your presence would be thick with us. For those who are at home watching online, that you would fill their spaces as well. That we would feel you, Lord. Open our hearts and minds to you. Lord, change our hearts, please. Lord, we lift up this day to you. We lift up COVID numbers and the virus. We pray that you would make it go away, that you would move and act. For those who are sick, that you would heal them. For those who are not sick, that you would protect them. Lord, we pray for the fire across town, the fertilizer plant, We pray for all those first responders who are far closer to that blaze than any of us would want to be. We pray that you would protect them, that you would let this just be a large fire and not an explosion, that you would protect the homes and the businesses around that place, that you would protect the people who, who might be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and that nothing would actually happen today, Father, that it would be a normal, boring Tuesday in Winston-Salem. And so, Lord, we lift up this time to you. We thank you for chapter 7 and 8 and all that we have to learn from you. Thank you for sending your son and for his dogged pursuit of your purpose and your will and that he brought us your kingdom and that he walked steadfastly towards the cross because of his love for us. And so help us to see that this morning, Lord. Amen. Okay, so you and your small groups today, we we didn't meet for small groups the first time, right? And then we had Martin Luther King week, and then last week we did not meet. I think it's all online. January is a blur. Um, Anyway, and so this morning in your small groups, I've asked your small group leaders, there's a few questions in that first lesson. And and if you're at home, go back and just look at these these questions because they were questions really to get you to think about your year. And not in like an emotional, touchy-feely sense, but to really think about okay, what did, we, what did you learn from the Lord last year, and what are you hoping, what are you expecting him to do this year? Um, and then, of course, there's going to be questions about the lesson today. This is probably one of our larger lessons. It's chapter 7 and 8. And as I said before, this semester we're going to be jumping through chapters at a time. The next time that we'll split something up is chapter 14 later in March because it's 72 verses long um, for one chapter. Um, but that's the other, other thing to note is that we have a new calendar. Um, we're still 
ending right before Easter with a brunch after spring break. I just kind of tweaked how some of the chapters fell during, during the rest of the, the months here. So make sure you grab that um, if you haven't already. Um, so let's just go ahead and dive into chapter 7. So with chapter 6, we saw Jesus feed the 5,000. And then he walks on water. And then he heals the sick. And, and we see the disciples... There's the, the tone of Mark has changed, and we're going to see that tone change even more in this section. Chapter 7 and 8, there's much more opposition, and it's starting to grow, and we're really starting to see this dialogue where Jesus is starting to get to the heart of the problem, and we realize that really the problem is the heart. So starting chapter 7, verse 1. And we're just going to start, we're just going to move through, because we have lots of, lots of scripture to, to talk about this morning. Chapter 7, verse 1, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come to Jerusalem, so Jerusalem has already become the kind of the center of opposition for Jesus, and so scribes have come from Jerusalem to talk to, talk to Jesus, to, to come and to test him. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled and were unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. Notice that it's holding to the tradition of the elders. It doesn't say because of God's word. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. So what's interesting here is that once again we see that Mark was most likely writing for a Gentile audience. A Jewish audience, all he would have had to say was that the disciples didn't wash their hands and they would have known. But he's explaining to this, this possible Gentile audience that, no, this is why it was a problem that they didn't wash their hands. And the marketplace was a particularly hard place within the Jewish culture because it was thought that everything there was unclean because at the marketplaces, typically it wasn't just Jewish people there. There were also Gentiles. <gasps> And this, the tradition of the elders that they're talking about is that they had the law, but then the scribes and the Pharisees, they wrote more, they added to the law to explain how to live it. And it was those explanations that got held to tighter, tighter than the actual law of God. There was even a rule that if the shadow of a Gentile fell across something in the marketplace, it was considered unclean. Now, was that in the law of God? No, it wasn't. But they created all of these laws to make sure that they were sure that they were following God's law. But then they started holding to those laws more tightly than the law of God. Verse 5, And when the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? So they point, they ask him this, and they're trying to trip him up. They're trying to get him to either say something wrong about his disciples, right? Or to admit that he wasn't living within the law with his disciples. Verse 6, and he said to them, as only Jesus can, he said, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. And they do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. 
So they ask him about the hand washing. He could have gone anywhere, and in the, in the two, the Greek Old Testament was called the Septuagint. The Hebrew text was called the Masoretic text. Those are the two versions of the Old Testament writings that they had. They had the Greek, and they also had the Hebrew. He could have gone anywhere within the actual law, within Leviticus, to talk about the cleanliness laws. But instead of going there, Jesus goes to the heart of it. And he calls them out for the very thing that was happening. He was saying, you're holding to the commandments of men as if they were the doctrine of God. You leave the commandment of God and hold on more tightly to the tradition of men. And he got them. Verse 9, he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition." For Moses said to honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, your words, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban that is given to God, then you are no longer, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother. So Corban was this idea where you could commit things to the purposes of God. So if I had, like I could commit this table to the purposes of God. I could commit it to the temple. I could give it over to the runnings and the workings of the temple. But what if it was supposed to help my mom or my dad, right? What if, what if it was an inheritance or what if, what if it was something that could have helped them in their old age? But no, I'm giving it to God because I'm called to do things like that. There's this loophole, and it was getting people out of having to take care of their parents. It was this tradition that was added, added to their belief system that had nothing to do, nothing to do with the law of God. Thus, verse 13, thus making void the word of God by their tradition that you had handed them, and many such things that you do. So here we have this incredible back and forth between the Pharisees and Jesus, and they are holding doggedly to this tradition. They're holding on to this tradition rather than the actual word of God. And here they have Jesus in front of them. And he is saying it is not about the actions that you do, but more about, more about the heart of the matter. It's about what's going on in your hearts, not what you're actually doing. And so it goes on to that, and he called the people to him in verse 14 again. So he calls the people to him, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he'd entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, because they're so confused. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? So here Jesus is declaring food clean. This is a new word. He's declaring food clean. Verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. 
All these evil things come from within, and they are what defile a person. This was a new word. The entire Jewish culture was set upon this idea of clean and unclean. Remember, most of the sick people that we've talked about were considered unclean and had to live outside of the community. Their entire world was wrapped around how they looked and how they acted and this outside physical idea of cleanliness. But once here we see Jesus going to the heart of it, and don't we know that that's what's true, right? I could be the nicest person in the world, but I probably still have pride in my heart. And so we can act and we can do all these things because we look real pretty on the outside, real pretty on the outside. But what if on the inside I am consumed by envy in comparison? And I could be real, real nice to your face, but what if I gossip about you later, right? Those are the, the insidious lies that infect our hearts. And Jesus is saying that there is a deeper issue. There is a deeper problem. There is something more deadly and horribly more unclean than not washing your hands. It's actually within your heart. And so Mark, in his storytelling, we see this conversation about with Jesus declaring food clean and this idea of cleanliness and uncleanliness, and then Jesus goes to a pagan Gentile area. So he goes to a pagan Gentile area in verse 24. So he's just talked about following the rules more than God, holding on to more to tradition than to God himself. So verse 24, and from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now there, that's an area, it's a pagan area, it's a Gentile area, and also throughout history has been in opposition with Israel and Jerusalem. So he enters into a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Everywhere he went at this point, people knew who and what he was. But immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. Now this, the, the wording here, the wording here is, is less about Greek nationality and more about telling us about her spiritual state and, and what she believes through religion. She's a Greek woman. And what do we know about the Greeks is that they had how many gods? They had, they had hundreds, right? And so it, here he, Mark is telling us she was a pagan. She worshiped many gods and believed many other things. But here she comes and falls at Jesus' feet. And he says to her, let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now this conversation is kind of hard to take. Here's Jesus talking to a woman who's clearly desperate for her child and he compares her to a dog. Now it should be noted here that the word used for dogs that Jesus used was more along a pet. He wasn't talking about an angry dog in the streets. But still, let, let the children get the bread first for it's not right to take it and throw it to the dogs. And she answers him though, she answers him, though, because in his response to her, there is hope, right? He doesn't say, 
only feed the children. He says, let's feed the children first. Let's feed them first. So there's hope in his statement. He's not saying no, but he is saying that there's somebody who's going to get it first. But she answers him, yes, Lord, yes. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So she is accepting his definition of her. She is accepting his statement, but she is wrestling with him and asking him for more, doggedly. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon was gone. So here we see this fascinating back and forth between Jesus and this pagan woman. And this pagan woman went to him asking for help. And even though he said, no, not right now, she grabs a hold of him with her words and says, but even the dogs get the crumbs off the floor. She got it. She wanted it. And in her faith, he sent her away and her child was healed. Now, why did, she, why did this happen? Why did, why did Jesus do anything that he did? Everything had a purpose. And so here he is in this pagan Gentile area. And he is given hope and a good word to a pagan Gentile woman because the Gentiles are included in the kingdom. They are included in the kingdom, not in the future, but he sees them included now. And so here in this chapter, he is pushing up against the tradition and the staunch beliefs of the day. Within Jewish culture, even though we can go through and read all through the Old Testament where, you know, the nations are going to come to, they held to the fact that Israel was the chosen child, the chosen people of God only. But here's Jesus saying, it's not about your traditions, it's about your heart. And here's Jesus including a pagan woman in the kingdom. Verse 31, and so then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the, Sidon to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Decapolis. So he is still traveling through this Gentile area. And they brought him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. So this, this man was deaf, and the speech impediment there was that he couldn't speak. So he was deaf and mute. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed. He sighed, and he said to him, Emphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. I love this idea when Jesus looking up to heaven and he sighed. He was facing all of this opposition. No one was listening. The Pharisees were questioning. His disciples weren't getting it. His disciples weren't getting it. And he's in this pagan Gentile area and people are coming to him for healing and he sighs. He sighs. But he opens the eyes, he opens the ears and the mouth of this man and Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So now we have this man who's come and he is 
teaching new things, a new word. He's already fed 5,000 people. He's healed leprosy. He's healed blind men. He's raised people from the dead. And now here he is making a man hear and speak. And this takes us back to Isaiah 35 that we talked about. Remember we talked about last, last time where there was green in the desert. The, the desert was blooming. But in 30, Isaiah 35, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped, and the lame man shall leap, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The thirsty ground springs of water and grass rises up. It's happening. The signs of the kingdom, the signs of the Messiah are happening. And so Mark ends chapter 7 with this beautiful sign of the kingdom and moves on to chapter 8. And in chapter 8, we see more happen, but we also see more misunderstanding it says, in those days when again a great crowd had gathered, and remember with Mark, with his storyline, we're not sure when this happened, but he's, it's, it's, the, it's the story that he's trying to tell us. It's not about the chronological order. He's trying to tell us this grander story of who Jesus is and what he, what he was doing. So in those days, at some point, they had nothing to eat, and he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven, and he directed the crowd to sit on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and having Given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples and set before the crowd, and set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said, Hand these out and set them before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, and there were seven baskets full, the number of perfection. And there were about four thousand people, so a smaller crowd, and he sent them away. And immediately he got in his boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. So here it's another, it's another depiction, another story of where he feeds 4,000 people. But of course we know that just the men were counted. So there were probably about 10,000 people there, including women and children. But they all ate and were full, and then there were seven baskets left over. So they were fully satisfied. But when you see the number seven in scripture, it means something. It's this idea of perfect fullness and fulfillment. So to give perfection, and so it's saying they were satisfied, but in his presence, we are fully satisfied. But isn't it just so interesting that his disciples said, well, how are we going to feed them? They've already, he's already fed 25,000 people, five, remember, the five, feeding the 5,000? They still don't get it. And then, so, so he has his disciples not remembering and then the Pharisees come in verse 11. They came and began to argue with him, seeking him again, asking for a sign from heaven to test him. Jesus is the sign from heaven. <laughs> like, the kingdom has come. And here the Pharisees come, demanding a sign from him. And he sighs deeply. Again, this is the second time we've seen him sigh in this lesson. He sighs deeply in his spirit. 
Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. They have had these conversations with Jesus. They have seen him do these miracles. They have heard the reports, but they still wanted another sign. Verse 14, talking about the disciples. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they would only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying... So he's just fed a whole crowd with all of this bread. And they keep forgetting bread, right? So they only have one loaf with them. And he cautions them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, says to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 and had many baskets of broken pieces, did you not take them up? And they said 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Do you not yet understand what's happening? And so we have the Pharisees demanding a sign, and we have the disciples who are living with him getting signs daily, and they're not getting it. And the the reality is, is that the Pharisees were demanding too much, and the disciples were expecting too little. The Pharisees saw their tradition and what the the Messiah should be. They wanted the guy on the white horse to come in. But we're even going to see, even as Jesus, as Peter confesses who he is, he still doesn't quite understand the reason for the Messiah. For the the Pharisees, they, they were missing the forest for the trees. And then the disciples were in the forest and they were just looking down. Like, if you're going to look at a redwood, you look up. You see the whole forest. But they were, they were looking down as they're walking around with Jesus, not recognizing that they're actually walking with the Savior. Now, it makes, it makes me wonder, how, what does that do for us today? We're on this side of the cross, and it's really easy to be like, well, why doesn't that person get it? Why don't I get it? And it's because we are somewhere, all of us, between those two realities. We are either so stuck in our traditions that we don't realize the spirits and the God behind them. That it's not about the tradition, it's about God. Or, or we absolutely forget all that he has done daily. Because I dare say if we remembered every single thing that he has done in our lives that I would walk around with more joy in my heart. In in the monotonous, in the hard, right? And and I, I would probably also say that in the hardest times of my life, that was when my relationship with God was the sweetest and dearest because that's when I most recognize that the only reason I'm breathing is because of him. But here we are, the first day of February, after the year that was January, right? 
in the dead of winter, even Florida's cold. If Florida's cold, it's a cold winter. And where is he, right? He's everywhere. He's everywhere. And so the question for us this morning in these chapters is to really look at our hearts and to really question them, right? Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's not about what we put in. It's about what comes out. It's it's about what the heart is doing. And so how are your hearts? How are your hearts? Because we're two years into a pandemic. Life is hard. I am a harder person than I was two years ago. Right? And I I probably am not alone in saying that. When's the the next surge going to happen? When's the next variant going to happen? When is my face not going to break out from wearing a mask all the time? I'm 38 years old. Like, and that's like, that's a silly thing, right? There are much harder things in this season that we're in. And the reality is, is that there's going to be another hard season. We're, we're this side of heaven, right? In our fallen bodies on this fallen earth. And so where, where is your heart this morning? Where is it that you're missing him? Because the other side of it is that when you take that to him, he answers. Even the pagan woman, he answered her and he gave her hope. Right? So we have the Pharisees demanding a sign, the disciples not getting it. And Mark keeps moving us through with this story. In verse 22, they came to Bethesda, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his hands and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not, do not enter the village. So he sent him away basically saying, don't, don't make a big deal about this. I know you can see, but just go home. And, and this is just, it's an interesting depiction of a healing. It didn't happen right away. Some say that when he, when he looked up and saw men who were walking like trees, that he was talking about the disciples, right, who weren't getting it. They were just walking around like trees, but the reality is, is that we, we don't always know how the Lord is going to act, right? So it wasn't that Jesus did it wrong the first time. It's that this, that's how he healed this man. It took two times. It doesn't mean that he wasn't all-powerful the first time he did it. It's just how it played out. And I know that in all of our lives, if we were to talk about how the Lord works in them, that he works in the same for the same purposes— in all of our lives, but he works in our lives differently, right? How I came to know the Lord is going to be different than how you know to, knew, how you came to know the Lord. And how he speaks to me because I am a different person, it's going to be different. And so for whatever reason, it took two times, but the note there is that it's not because he messed up the first time. He healed him. He healed a blind man. Verse 27, and when Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, 
And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others say one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? I didn't ask who everybody else says I am. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. So for all of Mark's gospel, we've talked about this in the very beginning. This is the center of the gospel. All up until this point, really the only people saying who, that he was the Christ were demons. They knew who he was, and he made them be silent. But here, Peter, one of the disciples, expresses the entire point of this gospel. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Savior. He is the one. And so here we get to this, this pinnacle of the gospel. He tells them to be quiet, and so the, but then he get, begins to teach them. So he, they say who he is, and so now he teaches them what it means that he is the Christ. He began to teach them with the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And so the must, that word must, is covering this entire statement. So he must suffer, he must be rejected, and he must be killed. And after that three days, he must rise again. So it must happen. But he will rise again. And he said this to them plainly. He's explaining to them, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. But he says, he's gonna, I am going to rise again. And, but Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And I, I would like to think that this was a very dr- dramatic moment. We see here all throughout Mark's gospel, he's shown us the spiritual battle that was going on. We've seen the dark forces pushing up against Jesus this entire time. And then here, in the middle of his disciple group, when he, Peter, has said who he is. But then as soon as Jesus says his purpose and says that I must die, Peter tries to stop that. In a way, he, if, if Jesus had listened to Peter, it would have thwarted the will and the story and purposes of God. It was Satan speaking through Peter. It was, it was evilness trying to stop what eventually he, even he knew would happen. Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man, which is, which is a theme throughout this entire lesson. The Pharisees were setting their minds on the things of man, not on the things of God. They wanted to uphold the traditions rather than love the people they were called to care for, to minister to. If you didn't follow their rules, you were out. And the disciples, right? Jesus has just told them the main point for his existence. And Peter loved him. In his love, he was trying to stop him. He didn't want his friend to go through that. He didn't want his friend to die. 
And isn't that the way that if we are really honest, when we think about what it really means, it's hard to to understand that we need that too. We needed this, we needed this same savior who must suffer, who must be rejected and must be killed in order that he must rise again. That is what the cost of sin is. The cost of all of those evil things that come out of our hearts, words, actions, and the deep, dark thoughts of our hearts require this. Because the reality is is that no amount of tradition or good, right living can save you. No amount of good, moral behavior is going to get you into heaven. Because it will not pay the price for sin. It will not be the last sacrifice because we're not able to do it because we also are fallen sinful people. That's why the priests had to sacrifice for their sins before they could sacrifice for the people's sins every single day. Jesus was the last sacrifice, right? It must happen. It must happen, and, that, and it takes understanding our deep need of that to, to really understand who he is. When we say Jesus is the Christ, he is Lord and Savior, but he also, also died on the cross for us. Verse 34, he called, to him, he called to him the crowd and his disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So the taking up of the cross, we know that the criminals of that day, often before they were crucified, they were made to carry part of the cross, the cross beam on the way to the hill where they did the crucifixions. And we'll, we'll talk about that and see that more later in the gospel. But that was terminology that would have been understood at the time. I hear it and think, oh, Jesus died on the cross, take up your cross. But no, like him saying that back then, criminals took up their cross beams and went to their their executions. Take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Excuse me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Yeah. We'll save it. But for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the world hasn't changed. Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes to the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And so here he is talking about that deep truth that Jesus is the way. The way to heaven, the only way to heaven is through him. If we cling to the world, sure, you'll have a great life. But we are eternal beings. You know that? We are eternal beings. And so at the end of this one... There's more. At the end of this one, there's eternity after it. And he's speaking to where will you go in that time? Because eternal life is where we are called through in Christ Jesus. Apart from him, it's eternal death. 
So whoever will save his wife will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And I'm sure the disciples were reeling with these words, right? He's not only just said that he was going to die, but now he's speaking like this. What does that mean? And so as we, as we move forward in the gospel, as we move, each chapter gets a little bit more poignant. There's a little bit more opposition. But the questions that we have to ask ourselves as we move forward is, do you know that you know more sure than the chairs you're sitting in that Jesus said and did these things must, he had to suffer, he had to be rejected, he had to die in order to be raised again for you. And that's the question, that's what we, what we have to grapple with. Who he is, what he's done, and what it means for your life. Because it's that eternal truth, right? This is momentary, even though January is long. It's it's just shorter than the blink of an eye, right? So this should call us to think about those things, but also to hold to those things with assurance. And unlike the disciples, that we should expect him to work. Anticipate him working in your life this week. Expect to see him, and you will. Let me... um, close in prayer. I brought um, a spe- something to, to pray through with you all. I have this, um, I was given this like 15 years ago, but it's a compilation of um, prayers um, taken from the Book of Common Prayer and things like that. And so I would love to just pray part of the morning prayer um, as we close. Um, there's questions for next week. Um, and Lord willing, we will all be back together again for chapter 9. And of course, we will communicate with you if that changes, but I'm hopeful. I'm going to expect to see you all next week. Um, but let's pray. Let's close. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. This very day the Lord has acted. May God's name be praised. Come, let us raise a joyful song, a shout of triumph to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into your presence with thanksgiving, singing songs of triumph. For you are a great God, a great king over all gods. The depths of the earth and the mountains belong to you. The sea is yours, for you made it, and the dry land your hands fashioned. Let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the one who made us. For you are our God, and we are the flock that you shepherd. We will know your power, power and presence this day if we but listen for your voice. Deliver us, Almighty God, from the service of self alone, that we may do the work you have given us to do in truth and beauty and for the common good. For the sake of the one who comes among us as one who serves, the one who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Grant us such awareness of your mercies, we pray, that with truly thankful hearts we may give you praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves for your service, and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Hear us, O Lord. 
We entrust all who are dear to us to your your never-failing love and care for this life and for the life to come, knowing that you will do for them more than we can ever desire or pray for. Thanks be to God, creator, redeemer, and giver in life. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord and to live our lives so that to those who love as a stranger will find in us generous friends. Amen. We have, sorry, I knew I knew it was gonna happen. We have an announcement about the women's retreat. Shelby, if you'll just you, if you stand right here, you'll catch Perfect. the mic. Hey, friends. Good morning. Um, I'm Shelby Nelson. Um, if you were at church or watched service from Sunday, you heard me talk about women's retreat. Um, it is coming up, and we are very excited. I talked some on Sunday about the difference between rest and being refreshed. And this year at our women's retreat, we really want to focus on being refreshed. And I want to give you just a little little glimpse of what that might look like. So for the past year, we've been in baby mode at our house. Like Jack just turned one, I have two older kids, which means in the morning, I don't wake up, I am woken up. And that's a really important difference when you're very tired, right? And so my idea of rest is an extra hour of sleep. That is what calls to me as rest but there was one time I was talking to Susan Nash I was like I'm just I'm so tired I hate waking up to needs and she said Shelby how would your day change if when you woke up before answering any other call you sat in the truth that you are a daughter of God and nothing more is required of you and I burst into tears right on the spot because that truth was so refreshing to my heart what I need is not an extra hour of sleep what I need is to know that I am rooted in the love of the Lord and nothing more is required of me and that really changed the way that I started my days so what we're going to focus on at women's retreat are things like that strategies practices for being rooted in scripture and prayer that you can then bring home and be refreshed in your daily life. It's not requiring more of you. It is how do we enter our days? How does the Lord call us? How are our hearts and souls cared for? And that's what we're going to focus on that weekend. So we would love for you to join us so very much. It's going to be March 11th through the 13th up at Montreat, which is gorgeous. Um, the cost is $200 for a single room or $175 if you have someone that you know you want to room with. You can register on Redeemer's website under the events page. Or if you want to just like chat with me now, I'd be happy to get you registered take care of that. There are scholarships available. Do not, do not, do not, do not let the cost stop you from coming please. Like we have money set aside for that. Come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about that. Um, If you have any other questions about it, hit me up. I'm around. Thanks y'all.